1: The dream is made real, Ricky Howes rocks the world How do you like it? How do you like it? Wish I was 50 years younger and I'd kick your ass It's over!
0: Back again once more, fight fans, to another episode of the Career Profiles podcast with me, your host Sean Basto, joined as always by Johnston Brown to break down the life and boxing career of another truly inspiring fighter. Now, before we get into this particular episode, first of all, I'd like you guys to go and check us out on social media, on Twitter, at Career Underscore Profiles. And if you're on Facebook, you can check out the page. The BTR Boxing Podcast Network provides all the latest episodes to all our series featuring the darker side of boxing, Legendary nights, the main BTR Boxing Podcast feed, and, of course, Career Profiles. So, this episode today is all about the Australian legend, Jeff Fennec, who is nicknamed the Maverick Mill Mauler, a great fighter, all-action fighter, and embarrassingly enough for me, a fighter that I didn't really know a great deal about, and as you'll hear in the episode with myself and Johnston, we didn't really know about his exploits in his career, we knew of him through other fighters, but we'd never really had the opportunity to study Fennec's career, and this was a perfect opportunity, again, Brought to you by another one of the listeners. Martin Lee. Great suggestion for us. So without further ado then fight fans. This is the next episode of Career Profiles. This is the career of Jeff Fennec. So it's another episode of the Career Profiles podcast. It's Jeff Fennec who has come up for this episode another recommendation from a listener martin lee martin we love you mate i'm telling you you're giving us some great episodes to do here if anybody else wants to uh, give us some episodes other than martin of course then please drop us a line at career underscore profiles we'll happily do anybody that we've got out there so jeff fennec then or in johnston's case jeff fench we're going to be really excited to to get this episode up and running because this is a fighter that, to be honest with you, I didn't really know a hell of a lot about. I'd heard his name floating around. I knew he'd been involved in some fantastic fights with azuma nelson throughout his career but i'd never really looked into the depths of his career what he achieved in the sport and this was a perfect opportunity for us to do that so i'm really excited to go through this i'm really excited to go through his life and his times and his highs and his lows and big thanks to yourself johnston for obviously all the research you put in this episode about a guy who like myself you didn't really know a great deal about
1: no jeff finnick is a guy that i wasn't knowledgeable about before the start of sort of collating the the career profiles together he was a name that i'd seen regularly when reading about other fighters as as you just rightly mentioned uh, 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 nelson and azuna nelson and i never actually got the pleasure of actually seeing him fight and in fact i wasn't even pronouncing his name correctly. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, I was calling Jeff Fench. As I say, it was a lot of reading I was doing and his name kept cropping up and I just didn't really read the name properly. So, thank you, Martin Lee, for putting this request in for this profile because I was able to learn about a new boxer I never knew much, much about. And, and the fact that he was as, as successful as he was is, is quite remarkable. That I didn't really know too much about him and how successful he was. So, a great career profiles for us and one and a new fighter that I didn't know about that I'm now a fan of but that's, that's brilliant so again thank you Martin Lee
0: the beauty of career profiles of course is that we're able to bring the listeners the, the stories that we didn't know as well and stories that wasn't always easily accessible so this is going to be a great episode and I'm really excited to get started and of course we always go through the career profiles of these fighters inside and outside of the ring in a chronological time order. So we're going to start at the beginning when Jeff Fennec was born on May the 28th in 1964 and it was in St. Peter's, Sydney, Australia. Now his parents were post-war immigrants from Malta, which is a tiny island in the Mediterranean and they were subjected to some of the worst bombings during the Second World War and in March and April of 1942. Fennec's parents, Paul and Mary, grew up during the horrific blitz that saw more German bombs fall on that tiny country than London in the whole year and they helped search for bodies each morning amongst the rubble. Now, When they arrived in Australia, Paul Fennec was already suffering from ill health. His mother, Mary, had to work three jobs as a cleaning lady to pay the medical bills, support Paul and their six children... And Jeff Fennec had three brothers and two sisters. Now, this meant, of course, that Jeff was left to fend for himself in the rough inner city of Sydney. And Fennec said, Every couple of days, I would be getting into fights with kids younger than myself or older. I just wanted to prove that I was better than the other person. I was always fighting in the park. So as soon as I started going straight, I made sure I left here interesting
1: start for his family and and Fennec was also a very keen rugby player now when he was a kid he had this burning desire to always win even as a youngster now his mum did reflect on an incident when he was a very young lad that demonstrated his will and she actually said one day when we were at the football fair Jeff lost a game and he was sitting down crying his eyes out so his daddy smacked him he said come on Jeff all teams have to lose and he said no the boys made me lose the game because they weren't playing their hardest. So just just to throw it there, the fact that as a fighter, Jeff had this will to win. We'll discuss that. And as a young, young adolescent, he obviously had that same ideology from, from very early in, in his days. And Jeff admits to the misdemeanors at the age of 12. He was involved in a nasty brawl at a train station, which got him sentenced to two months at a reform school. And Jeff and his brother Henry also did some time in a boy's home after another gang fight and he did say, he said, yeah, I got into trouble a few times. As a juvenile, I got locked up for assault. I was in the wrong place at the wrong time and we got into a fight.
0: Now, Fennec was at a turning point in his life when in his teens. It would either be a bleak life of crime or he could find a distraction where he could channel his aggression and he said, to be honest, if I wanted something when I was growing up, I usually had to get it the hard way now in a story by Pat Charles, a former policeman, he spoke of the problems Fenwick was having. He attended a complaint from a resident and when he arrived at the property, Jeff had gotten into a dispute in the park and had a group of people locked up in their house who were terrified to come out because Jeff was ready to beat them up. So at this age already he's getting himself into trouble going down the wrong path as we hear in a lot of the career profiles that we do we do hear of a lot of these fighters going down the wrong path before they're guided into the right path and it's another instance here with Jeff Fennec and his life where he was always getting involved in fights with people but this this was another level
1: it was wasn't it and and clearly he was on the wrong road and he was ready to I think I think the laugh of crime was was obviously quick money, and and, it, and he enjoyed a scrap. So um, he's a bit of a bully boy by the sounds of it. And and at age seventeen, boxing was nowhere near on the radar for Fennick. As as we mentioned, he loved his rugby league, and his childhood dreams actually saw him uh, emerging as a professional rugby player, something he always wanted to do. And Fennec did eventually find a release at the Newtown Police Boys Club in Sydney. This is where we met Johnny Lewis, the famous Johnny Lewis, Australian trainer, who bonded well with a 17-year-old right from the off. And, And Lewis recalled, he said, I was really taken back by the aura about the guy. I just thought to myself there and then, this is a kid, if he can be disciplined, God knows how far he can go in the sport. He had everything. He was the only man that I listened to. At that stage, he taught me how to respect people, and because of the respect he gave me, I gave him what he wanted. So he'd that was Jeff, not, not Johnny Lewis, uh, actually recalling that statement there. And obviously, Lewis made a huge impact on Fennec as a young 17-year-old lad, and by the sounds of it, he was the influence he needed.
0: Now, for Fennec, it was too small for rugby. So, following his time at the boys' club under the guidance of Johnny Lewis, he abruptly changed his sport. He was a raw... With an unbelievable will to win. Which made for the perfect ingredients to become a stellar amateur boxer. Now he went on to become the Oceanic Flyweight Champion in 1983 and 84. But finished third in the World Championships in Rome, Italy. And third again at the Commonwealth Games in Belfast, Northern Ireland. All at the flyweight category. By the summer of 1984 he was given an outside chance for the Olympic gold at the 1984 Los Angeles Games. Now, his newfound sense of direction was rewarded when he was made the captain of the Australian boxing team. His strength of mind was given a turn test at the Olympics when he lost a very controversial, quarterfinal bout against Yugoslavian Redzep Kozovke. Fennec was initially given the decision, but after intervention by the Olympic Boxing Committee and a total recount, the decision was reversed. With Red Zabotsky being awarded the win, robbing Jeff of the chance to fight the American and eventual winner Steve McCrory. Now many of the other boxers and those in the press felt that Fennec had been robbed of a chance to win the Olympic gold medal. And most boxing writers noted how political amateur boxing was, especially at the Olympic Games. And he said, as much as I would have loved to have won a medal for Australia, everything happens for a reason. I came home and turned professional immediately. As much as I would have loved to have won a medal for Australia and been um, given
2: the opportunity to fight for a gold medal for Australia it would have been, meant so much to me. But I think that, like I said, um, everything happens for a reason and I came home, I turned professional immediately. Yeah, never forget it, Mary Valarosell against Bobby Williams. This guy had you know, 60, 50 professional fights saying that he was going to beat me up and this and that. But like I said, um, Johnny was very confident in what I could do as a, as a professional prior to me turning professional because I, sp- I had spotted all these guys and I had no problem handling them. So I don't know um, where they got the confidence or the cockiness to, to go out and say that they're going to beat me. But um, yeah, I let Bobby hit the canvas about three times and the fight was over in the second round, I think.
1: Yes, yeah, so on his return, Fennec moved south. To Melbourne, which is something he did mention earlier, he would move out of the area as soon as he found something that he he could get his teeth into. Uh, now Melbourne is, is the coastal capital of Australian state of Victoria, hence where he adopted the name the Merrickville Mauler. And despite the high publicity of him being robbed in the Olympic Games, he fought his first professional belt in front of an attendance of only 300 spectators on October 12, 1984. He knocked out journeyman Bobby Williams. who was 24, 32, and 13 in the second round at the Marrickville RSL Club in Sydney. Now, in his corner was Con Sindelapoulos. C- C- he was a child and friend with learning disabilities. And uh, he he remained in his corner throughout. And it, was, it sort of showed a softer side to Jeff. And Jeff called him. He was, he was just known as Jeff's little mate, Con was. And uh, he was a permanent fixture in all of Jeff's fights throughout his career. Now, Fenix spoke of his first fight in the professional ranks against Bobby Williams. He said, I will never forget it. My first fight against Bobby Williams, this guy had 50, 60 professional fights, saying that he was going to beat me up. I knocked Bobby down to the canvas three times before the fight was over in the second round.
0: Now, in just his third professional fight, one month after turning pro, Jeff knocked out Queenslander Junior Thompson who was 6 and 7 in four rounds to win the vacant Australian Super flyweight title once again at the Marrickville RSL Club in Sydney. Another knockout victory later and Jeff stepped up in class and weight fighting for the Australia New South Wales state Bantamweight title and vacant South Pacific and South Seas bantamweight title against Wayne Mulholland, who was twenty and seven, and in February of 1985 at the De Pato Rugby League Club in De Pato. Fennec knocked down Mulholland in the fifth round, but while the referee was still counting, his handlers threw in the towel. Bill Morday, A.K.A. Break Even Bill Morday, who was a newspaper reporter, horse rider, identity, and magazine publisher, was in the crowd that night and saw something in this young kid, Jeff Fennec. So made an offer to become his promoter. Now, Morday said he was tough, super fit, had a bit of a beast in him and not a devastating puncher, but he threw them often and they landed with such consistency that you feel like you'd been run over by a steamroller. Now, in Fennec's first fight under his new promoter, Bill Morday's Classic Promotions or BMCP, he knocked out. Rolando Navarro, who was 11-7-2 in front of 4,000 spectators at the Houdin Pavilion in Sydney. The Filipino was counted out after a typical sustained attack from Fennec in the fourth round. Morde called the fight David versus Goliath, due to Fennec's much bigger physique compared to his opponent.
1: Yeah, so already, I mean, 4,000 spectators from 300. It's looking like, you know, he's clearly getting some attention, and, and still only 6-0. and Mordy promised Fennec a title shot if he was successful against Navarro. And obviously, he was. Luckily, the new and unestablished International Boxing Federation, as we know at the RBF, were looking to market their new organisation in the South Pacific, and Mordy struck a deal to fight Japan's tricky southpaw, Satoshi Shinaki. It was eight, one, and one. He was 8-1-1. He was actually making his second defence of the title as well, the RBF title, that he had basically picked up a couple of fights before. On April 26, 1985, at the Horton Pavilion, once again, Shingati proved to be no pushover and took the early rounds until Phoenix started to force the action with his relentless pace and pressure fighting, which is something, if you haven't seen, watched this fight, he is, he, he is relentless. He's absolutely relentless and exactly spot on. He was like a steamroller. That was, that was a great expression of what Fennec was like as a fighter. Now, after an exhausted Fennec finally stopped Shingati in the ninth round, he fell to the canvas in pure joy and relief. Jeff said his adrenaline and his will to win got him through the fight. He also said, I don't know if it was a dream come true or not because I never dreamt of becoming a world champion, clearly looking at the rugby league, cause that was his main dream, but it was an amazing feeling. And in just six months and seven fights, Fennec became the second fastest in boxing history to win a world title behind only Leon Sphinx. And Team Shingati, on the other hand, said that the fight had been stopped prematurely, and their man should have been allowed time to continue.
0: So it's amazing to see what Fennec did at that early point of his career. Being able to win a world title so soon in his career is something that, if you didn't already know that about him, it kind of makes you feel a bit more empathetic to what he wanted to do in his career. He didn't want to initially become a world champion. He wanted to be a rugby league player. But then to go on and do what he'd done initially at that start of his career uh, is pretty phenomenal. Now, due to the controversy with the stoppage in that first encounter... ...a rematch was drawn up to fight again in August... ...but Fennec wanted to keep active. So he fought solid Filipino John Matsinenza, who was 12-1... ...and Liverpoolian John Farrell, who was 9-1-1... ...in two warm-up fights before making his first defence... ...at the State Sports Centre in Sydney. Fennec stopped Matsinenza in six rounds... ...and a month later Farrell in nine. The rematch and first defence of the IBF Bantamweight title ended in a third round stoppage due to a severe cut in Shingaki's eye. Now in a straightforward non-title win against the time waster Kenny Butts who was 7-7-1 seven, who seven refused to come out of his corner for the second round it was time for mandatory unbeaten challenger American Jerome Coffey who was 26-0 at the Sydney Entertainment Centre in Sydney. Now this would be the first time that Fennec went the 15 round distance against a skillful and highly rated American. It was a jabbing game in the early exchanges, but then Fennec became more aggressive as a fighter throughout the fight and began to beat Coffee to the punch and outwork his opponent. All three judges gave Fennec the decision who retained the IBF Bantamweight title in what was an entertaining fight that is well worth a visit on YouTube. Now this victory cemented his status on the international boxing scene and he was now considered to be a worthy champion with a legitimate record with only 12 wins and 11 knockouts.
1: Wow, I mean, that is unbelievable, isn't it, really? 12 wins, 11 knockouts. He's already an IBF world champion. And he's defended it as well. Brilliant. Now with the belief that no one in the division could trouble the 21-year-old Jeff Fenwick, attention's turned to the former WBC bantamweight champion Daniel Zaragoza, who was 28-3. and Now, he had recently lost his title in August of 1985 against Colombian Miguel Laura. The legendary Mexican Southpaw was confident that he could knock out, as he put it, the loser who was making a lot of noise. Now, it would be a non-title fight because Fennec's team wanted to gain some recognition within the WBC, and it turned out to be a gamble that paid off with Jeff winning almost every round by unanimous decision over 10 rounds on April 11, 1986 at the Entertainment Centre in Perth, in Western Australia. It was another thrilling fight with both fighting dirty, but it was Zaragoza who was penalised one point in the fourth round for consistent low blows. Jeff recalled the fight saying, Danny gave me 10 of the hardest rounds of my life. He never stopped coming. He never stopped throwing punches. It was without doubt, at that stage, my toughest fight much tougher than going 15 rounds. He was a different caliber of opponent. Daniel Zaragoza was a real fighter in the terms of the word fighter. Zaragoza spoke of Jeff once he had retired from the game and he did say, I think he is the strongest fighter I've ever met, which is some comment because Daniel Zaragoza, as we just mentioned, an absolute Mexican legend. And he also went on to say, I had bloody bouts with Banky Jacobs and Hatinaka but with Jeff Fennec, it was very, very tough bout because he was so strong. I think it's safe to say he is the best from Australia.
0: So focus then turned to get an Olympic revenge against Steve McCrory, who was 11-0 and 1. He would won the gold medal in the 1984 Olympics, defeating Fennec's nemesis Redzep, Redzep kozovke in the final. McCrory was from the Cronk Gym in Detroit and under the guidance of Emmanuel Stewart. He was also the younger brother of the world welterweight champion Milton McCrory. He was also part of that stable. Now Stewart did not think McCrory was ready for Fennec, who had progressed rapidly since making the transition to the pros. And Stewart said, By 1985, Steve had become unhappy that the other Olympic kids were making much more money than he was. He was undefeated and wanted to take a fight in Australia with Jeff Fennec for his bantamweight title. And I advised against it. I felt Fennec was too strong for him. That Steve just wasn't ready. But he insisted. He demanded that I make that fight. Or he will find another manager. Now weeks before the fight, Fennec broke his hand. So assuming the fight would be called off, he ended up overindulging on food. And the trouble was, it wasn't. And now, the weight had become an issue. On the day of the weigh-in, there was a dispute about the scales and that Jeff had not made weight. Steward tried to get Fennec back on the scales, but he was out of the building sharpish. Now, Stewart said sometime after, Jeff Fennec did not make the weight, but he had done so much sacrificing, starving and torturing his body, that I have no regrets. Fennec did not have the fight all his own way, So, with the effects of struggling to make weight, his punch resistance was still there, but you could see that some of McCrory's shots were hurting the Aussie at times, especially during the middle rounds. And in the end, a body shot actually put the American down, but he got up, a sustained attack, then forced the referee to stop the contest in the 14th round, giving the victory to Jeff Fennec.
2: I did not want that fight at that time. It was Stevie and I had a big argument. And he insisted on the fight. I would have rather waited another year because even though Stevie was the gold medal winner in the Olympics... Jeff Finnick had progressed so much professionally, and with his pure strength and his animal instincts, I felt honestly that it was going to be too much for Stephen. But McCroy said, hey, I want to fight, or uh, either I want to get a new manager. So we took the fight. My relentless pressure just slowly wore him down. I hit him and hit him and hit him, and like I said, my hands were killing me at the time. And um, come about ten rounds... I knew that I was right on top, he had nothing left, 11, the 12th, the 13th, and the 14th thread, I hit him with a straight right hand to the body and he went down and I was so cranky as he was going down, I was trying to punch him on the back of the head with both hands and knock him down again, you know, so I wanted him to stay there, I didn't want him to get back up, got back up, and, oh, you bastard, stay down, i mean, I'm, I'm in pain, was, I was dying, you know, anyway, um, straight away when the, when the referee came, I jumped back on him, started punching him when the referee stopped the fight. Um, for me, it was it was a huge relief because, like I said, not only was it an really Olympic revenge, but like I said, I just remembered that Australia embraced me and loved me because they thought that this guy had taken what was Jeff Fenix. and for me to beat him in front of that crowd and, and to beat him the way I did, it was yeah, it was it was always one of the special fights for me.
1: Yeah, and, and a revenge, and the fact that he mentioned the, the scouts, that was that was really funny because uh, the, you can uh, there's a documentary and. And he does explain it and literally he, he jumps on it and then people sort of hovering over it and, and Emmanuel she doesn't get the chance to actually see it because so he knows he's overweight. Fennec literally does dash out of there and he goes and starts eating a, a plate of pasta from his mum <laughs> straight away. <laughs> so even with uh, Emmanuel pressing, pressing to get him weighed again, he was like, well, I'm going to be at least three pounds over already because uh, I've just eaten this pasta. That was a pretty smart move from him and he was over. He was clearly over and, and, and you know, silly moment from him to, to just sort of uh, overindulge on through, But anyway, Jeff Fennick decided it was time to move up to the Super Bantamweight division in his next fight. He went the 12-round distance with adopted British ex- expat who was Tony Mad Dog Miller. He was 19 two and one which gave Jeff the Australian featherweight title and the perfect preparation for his next challenge against the undefeated 122-pound WBC champion who was Samwat Piakarun, P-A- I and mean, he was 14-0 and he was undefeated. Now, legendary referee, Arthur McCann, they flew into Sydney to oversee the proceedings at the Entertainment Centre on May 8, 1987. Now, Fennec struggled with Piakarun's footwork and Southpaw's stance early in the fight and was actually floored for the first time in his career in the first round. Only Jeff's pride was hurt as he eventually wore down his opponent front, knocking him down in the fourth, leaving him unconscious for 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 several minutes um and fennec was now a two-weight world champion at the age of only 22 and a record of 15 wins no losses and 13 knockouts johnny lewis recalled get jeff angry and he can become the most vicious person alive and you see that i mean it's a devastating knockout it really is and and somewhat even he was undefeated he came he went back to thailand and they shunned him. He didn't want nothing to do with him. He ended up having to join the monk. He ended up becoming a monk. And he had to uh he had to apologize to a statue to a, in a prayer for the time when these people to, to start backing him again. He was crazy. He had some mad gambling buds that were running him at the time and they put thousands and thousands of money on him. I think about hundred thousand and even uh Maldy gave uh, one of the guys at ringside, he gave him a package, it was like 150000 in it, he didn't realise what was in it, and he actually had it under his desk, and uh, on the floor, so I was, it was a, look, you've got 150000 in that package, and he was like, what? He ended up spending the like, night sitting on it, <laughs> blessed the floor. Oh, no. so um, yeah, a crazy, crazy fight, but this dude was dangerous, for all I know, he had a big punch, and uh, a great win for Jeff, that.
0: But on a sombre note, two months after defeating Payakaroon Karun on July the 4th, 1987, Fennec's brother, Paul Jr., was sentenced to life imprisonment for murdering a Sydney teenager in 1986. Mr. Fennec told the court they had fought after watching a pornographic video and he had made sexual advances towards the teenager. He'd been drinking heavily that night, but although suspecting he had murdered Mr. Robinson, he had no recollection of doing it. And Jeff had to actually give evidence in that particular trial, and that must have been absolutely devastating to not only know that his brother essentially committed murder but then had to stand up in front of court to be able to do that essentially giving evidence against his brother in in some respects I mean I don't know the context of what evidence you give but it must have been absolutely devastating for him to do that now despite the distraction of his brother being convicted of murder Jeff made his first defence of the WBC title one week later and beat Greg Richardson who was 22-2 and into submission in the fifth round at the Entertainment Centre in Sydney and his next fight came against a true mexican great in carlos zarate who was sixty six and two with sixty three knockouts at the horden pavilion in sydney now after losing to lupe pintor in nineteen seventy nine zarate had retired but returned in nineteen eighty six and went on a twelve fight winning streak which set him up for a shot at Fennec's wbc title now, Canas, who was actually a former shallower himself at the age of 36, was nowhere near what he once was throughout the 1970s. So much so that the bout ended up being halted after the fourth round because of a cut Fennec had actually sustained from a clash of heads. Now, the fight was actually awarded to Jeff by a technical knockout. And that same year, Fennec was actually inducted into the Sport Australia Hall of Fame.
1: Wow, already a 2-8 world champion. Beating absolute legends in Zaragoza and Zarate. I mean, brilliant, brilliant staffer. And he's really doing fantastic things. And on December 11, 1987, Fenix stopped Osmar Alfredo Avila, who was 35-3-1 in the first round, before attempting to become the 1st free three-weight world champion while still undefeated against Puerto Rican Victor Calais who was 25-1 and one on March 7, 1988. Again, back at the entertainment centre in Sydney. Now, after absorbing a solid uppercut in the first round, it really is a big punch. Fennick does manage to regroup and went on to dismantle Kellyas, knocking him down twice, once in the third, once in the eighth, in one of the most dirtiest fights you'll ever see. And uh, Fennick does recall this. He says, in round two, he had bited me and broke my nose. So I had him back. It became one of the dirtiest fights in boxing history. If you watch it, you count the elbows that were thrown in that fight. It, was, it would far surpass any other fight. And finally, referee Richard Steele did stop the fight in round 10 and Fennec went on to capture the vacant WBC weight title, joining an illustrious group of fighters who have been world champions in three or more weight divisions. To put this victory into more context, before the fight, Fennec broke his right hand but decided not to tell Johnny because he knew that he would not allow him to fight. Fennec spoke about the achievement sometime after. He said it was the real defining moment of my career, being able to do what i done against that quality of opponent. With the pain that I went through, the circumstances, I think that was one of my greatest performances.
0: Now, sitting ringside that night was Carl King, the son of a certain promoter by the name, as we call him, Mr Slippery, Don King. And he would play a part in Fennec's super fight in three years' time. Now, just days after the Kalas fight, Paul Fenix Sr. died at just the age of 56 after a long battle with heart disease. Fennec was considered as one of the best pound-for-pound fighters in the world at this point, so it was no surprise that five months later at the National Tennis Centre in Melbourne that the CBS Network arrived to show the world what all the fuss was about, dubbing Fennec as the Australia's version of Rocky. The CBS commentator Tim Ryan said, Fennec has a tremendous roughhouse spirit. In some ways, he's kind of a mini Tyson in his fighting style and attitude. Trinidadian Tyrone Downs, who was 28-5, and five, was the opponent. He was a slick and skilful boxer that started the fight well when Fennec was caught in the first round. But as always, Fennec steamed back to knockdowns to the canvas twice in the fourth before finishing him off in the fifth. And Fennec said after the fight, my ultimate dream was to be the first to win four world titles. But Thomas Hearns has done that, so I'll just have to win a few more featherweight fights and then go up to make it number four. Now back at the National Tennis Centre in Melbourne, On November 30th, 1988, Fennec made the second defence of his WBC featherweight title by stopping the highly rated and very confident Georgia Gogo Navarro, who was 17-2 in the 5th after putting down the American twice in the 4th round. Now, By this point, Jeff Fennec had become the darling of Australia, and Bill Morday spoke of Jeff at this time, and he said, That aggressiveness, that power, is what the fans in Australia love. Jeff is solely responsible for the rebirth of interest in the game here. At a time when Australia was getting beat in football, cricket and swimming in the mid-80s, and we were looking for a sports hero, he came along with all his magnetism. He loves fighting for his people. Of course, the remaining criticism of him is that he's only fight only in his backyard.
1: That was probably the one criticism you you could say about Jeff Finnick at this point. Is the fact that he, he he hasn't fought anywhere else? They've all had to go to him, saying that he's a three-weight world champion now, which is remarkable, really. That what a great feat for him, and and obviously that big money fight though inevitably was and Azuma Nelson, who we spoke about at the top of the show. But he had actually moved up and become a super featherweight uh, champion earlier in 1988. So Jeff had to buy his time and uh, took on Marcus. Villasana, who was forty nine, six and three, who had gone the twelve round distance with Nelson, losing twice by controversial decisions, the last of which was at the hundred and twenty six pound weight limit, with veteran referee Joe Cortez officiating over the fight, which once again took place at the National Tennis Centre in Melbourne on April eighth, nineteen eighty nine. Now in the true statement of Jeff's conditioning, grit and determination, we won a grueling Battle where he broke both his hands in his fight en route to a unanimous decision. And fnick recalled, he said, one went about four or five rounds in, and then the other one went. I thought the only way I was going to survive in there and not get cleaned out was to get on my toes and box to give them a bit of a break. And what I mean, that's crazy. Fennec's hands were in a bad way, and part of the reason was that he was actually born with protruding knuckles on both of his hands, which always made it difficult for him to actually make a true this. This had become an ongoing issue throughout his boxing career, which always kept his hands in a vulnerable state. Um, but it does make a... I mean, it makes a statement. It, a relentless pressure fighting style that he had as well, where it literally you, you expect fighters to sometimes have a little break. He didn't. He would attack you when a fight has that break. And that was what... To have these hands, have broken hands, and continue to throw punches as, as often as he did it was brilliant. And, and Johnny Lewis spoke of the Villasana fight. He said that night that just beat Villasana, I think he would have beaten any featherweight ever. He was at his brilliant best.
2: I could have, you know, stopped at any time, made an excuse, because he hit me with some big punches, but um, I think there was, um, it was them. It was a real defining moment of my career be able to do what i done against that quality of an opponent with you know with the uh
0: you know uh, the, the pain that i went through with it with the circumstance i think was one of my greatest performances now following the victory fennec shockingly announced his retirement from boxing at the age of only 24 in an emotional press conference fennec said i want to announce today that this was my last fight i am now officially retired i just want to thank you all but i've had enough The assumption was that his hands would have been the reason for the decision but in actual fact it was behind the scenes battle of wills that put Fennec under pressure so he opted to stop it by calling it a day. The dispute was between his promoter Bill Morday and his new management group IMG. Now Fennec spoke of this years later saying I opted to leave because of the pressure that I felt Bill Morday and IMG put on me at the time more so Bill Morday. Fennec turned his attentions and dreams to Rugby League, where he's got his chance to lace a pair of footy boots in 1989 for a brief stint for the Parramatta Eels. The money wasn't great, and he did get more attention during the scrums than he probably wanted with the punch thrown in on the blind side, of course, with him being a boxer. And he actually said, I'll never forget going on against Cronulla, and I could feel those punches coming in the scrum straight from the second rower. Uh, on June the 24th, 1989, Jeff travelled to Atlantic City to watch his fellow native Jeff Harding fight light heavyweight champion Dennis Andres for the WBC title. It was that night out, at the fights with friend Mike Tyson and Donald Trump, plus witnessing Harding become the first Australian light heavyweight to win a world title that convinced him to return to the ring. In a conversation with Mike Tyson at the Harding fight, he said, Rest your hands and come back. You have too much talent to retire. Now, this is Mike Tyson telling him that. Johnny Lewis wanted Jeff to stay away from the ring, but knew it wouldn't be long until he buckled under the pressure to to return to the ring. And he said, I had hoped that retirement would be a happy ending to his story, but I knew the pain would eventually go. And he'd won a 4-4 title. A lot of guys are called born fighters, but Jeff really is a born fighter.
1: With that, assistance of uh, Mike Tyson and Donald Trump, interesting. we Mike Tyson at this point become a, a friend of Jeff Fennick as well. And we will mention that later on in this career profile. And three months after his retirement, Jeff was back in training. But due to the pounds he had put on during his spell in the rugby league, he returned at Super Featherweight. And he went straight into eliminator for Azuma Nelson's WBC title. Now, Fennec weighed in at 132 pounds against one of the best Mexican fighters to never win a world title with Mario Martinez. It was 47-5-2. and two. Now, this fight was on November 24, 1989 at the International Tennis Centre in Melbourne. And Fennec was knocked down with a solid left hook which, uh, and broke his right hand on the way to the unanimous decision with scores of 116, 112, 116, 117, 113, and 120, 109. Now, Bill Mordy said that he was lucky Martinez was intimidated. Jeff got through this on reputation. Now, just before Christmas, Fennick actually underwent surgery on his right hand, the fifth operation of his career as well. While in recovery, after his fight and surgery over the Christmas and New Year period, Jeff became a father for the first time with his fiancée, Tanya Foster, who gave birth to their son, Bo? And he was named after Bo Brady, who was one of the main characters from his favourite TV show, Days of Our Lives. Jeff would even reschedule training around the show, and he actually said, Joe Lewis wanted me to train at 1 o'clock every day, but I make him wait until 2.30. The soapy comes on at 1.30, and I don't want to miss it. I never like to tape it, when well, I can cancel an appointment and be home for it. The only problem is that we see the episodes a couple of years after they come out in the States. So he's obviously a die-hard fan of Days of their lives. And, and Jeff would eventually marry Tanya. Uh, they would then split in the 90s. And then Jeff did have a daughter, Jessica, later in the 90s. And I believe it was with his new wife, his wife now, Susie. Susie. They've been together for like several years. But... I, w- I couldn't quite get that. I'm not 100% sure if he's uh, daughter or not. But either way, uh, he did have, a, have Jessica as well.
0: And back to the boxing. And with Azuma Nelson moving up to the lightweight division to take on Penel Whitaker, Fennec had the opportunity to fight for the vacant WBC super featherweight title live on ABC TV against Puerto Rico's Juan Laporte in May 1990 before getting rescheduled to July only for glandular fever to strike, resulting in the fight being cancelled. Watching the soaps and reading the daytime TV magazines helped Fenwick pass the time during his layoff but the inactive months also left him with plenty of time to contemplate his uncertain future and Fenwick said at the time I don't know if I can describe the frustration of knowing the hands might get injured again it drives you mad i just have to keep hopeful but eventually this is going to shorten my career nelson replaced fenwick returning back to the £130 division after his failed attempt at the lightweight division to face Juan Laporte in October of 1919 in Sydney, Australia. Now, Nelson won by a comfortable decision. Now, while injuries kept Fennec out of the ring for longer, 14 months to be exact until he made a return against the Canadian, John Calbin, who was 22-11-2, and, and he stopped him in four rounds in Adelaide in January 1991. Now, Jeff Fenwick had an impressive record at this point of 25 wins and 19 knockouts and was a three-weight world champion and had done it quicker than Sugar Ray Leonard, Thomas Hearns and Roberto Duran. Yet, he was still the wonder from Down Under amongst the casual fans rather than the thunder from Down Under, mainly due to every one of his fights but one taking place in Australia. Now, Bill Morday had once said he loves fighting for his people. Of course, the remaining criticism of him is that he only fought in his backyard. Even veteran promoter Bob Aron said, if he wants to be a real star, he'll have to come to the US. Maybe he'll make less money than he would in Australia for his first fight or two, but he'll become the more famous and make more money in the long run.
1: Yeah, so, so for whatever reason, it, it took a while for Jeff to make his American debut. And when he did who finally was matched against the Ghanaian boxing legend in the Zuma Nelson. He was 33-2 and 2 on June 28, 1991 at the Mirage Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas. It was the outside building, or was outside was next to the building, with, a distingu- with distinguished referee Joe Cortez calling the action with the fight on the undercard of Mike Tyson against Razor Ruddock, their rematch, uh, obviously, at Caesars Palace. Uh, That would have been an after. Now, before the fight, Fennec was in chronic pain with his hands and remembered the weeks leading into the fight with Nelson. He said, a friend of mine, a doctor, injected my hands with arsenic just before the fight to numb the pain. As I was holding one hand with the other, he stuck the needle all the way through my left hand, through the knuckle, and into my right hand. True story. Wow. That's mad. Nelson started the fight fast. He, he started a lot faster, and he, but he also seemed to be a bit worn down and ineffective by Fennec's swarming attacks and his relentless persistence. Now, it looked close to being stopped in the final round, but Nelson made it through to the final belt. Joe Roth scored in favour of Fennec, which was one fifteen one eleven. 111. Miguel Dante scored the fight to Nelson 112 116. And Dave Moretti called it a draw, one Now, after 12 ferocious rounds, the bout was controversially declared a draw, with many of the boxing press who were present, as well as Tyson, claiming that Fennett had been robbed of a clear win. He actually said, what more do they want me to do? Only in America, he said. Now, only America is obviously a phrase often applied to the career of a dodgy Don King yes Mr. Slippery himself with many convinced that King was the cause of another favourable decision for Nelson he was the promoter of Nelson at the time and Finnick did reminisce some after and he actually was a little more it wasn't as angry I should say and then he said I had never been hurt in the ring in my life but after that draw of azuna Nelson in Las Vegas I suddenly started to feel the punches uh, Nelson would actually later came that he fought the days after catching malaria, which was the reason why he felt worn down during the fight.
2: I was very embarrassed when I saw that decision because there was not the slightest doubt in my mind that Jeff had won. You were embarrassed? I was embarrassed because whenever you see something going wrong, whenever you see someone like Jeff putting his heart his enthusiasm, his thinking of victory, and doing everything to win, and then see that the judges didn't see him win, and and they issued a draw, I I believe. Uh, It was so sad for me, because there's nothing worse than injustice. Pastor, when I went out there, um, I totally dominated Zuma Nelson, uh, for at least nine out of 12 rounds, I mean, the more I watch the fight, the more easily I win it. I'm not sure what Azuma Nelson says, but um, the one thing that when you're in a fight with somebody, you always know at the end of the day who wins. You know who gets punched in the face more, who gets hit more. And um, Had it been 15 rounds like the old days, I would have knocked Azuma Nelson out without any doubt. I I think that that night uh, they they not only robbed him of the... The world championship i think they robbed him of his heart and soul i think that that was all left in that ring in vegas i don't think we ever saw the the real jeff fennick again after that encounter
0: wow so it's a very interesting case of judges scorecards playing a factor on it and of course don king was involved in this and whilst he put on some amazing fight cards over the many years he's been involved in the sport he was also a dodgy bastard and let's be honest we know he was a dodgy bastard. Now, a disappointed Fennec returned to Australia and after comfortably beating Argentinian Miguel Angel Francia 32-9-6 and on points, Nelson travelled to Melbourne to offer Fennec a rematch and another chance to become a four-weight world champion. Now, Jeff Fennec was back in Melbourne... For the return showdown with Azuma Nelson, who was 33-2-1 for his biggest payday in front of the biggest crowd in Australian boxing history at the Prince's Park Football Ground on March the 1st, 1992. With the referee, Arthur McCante, contesting the bout in front of 38,000 fans, the fight was named the Ring Magazine Upset of the Year for 1992. Now, in a completely contrasting encounter from the first fight, Nelson actually dropped Fennec in the first, the second, and the eighth rounds before Arthur McCante waved it off. Now, Fennec always looked fragile for out, although still busy. His punch resistance was weaker than normal. Maybe one class too many in weight? After the fight, Nelson said, Fennec is a boy. I am a man. Fennec didn't counter that comment. He was very aware of his decline, saying, you can fix your knee, you can fix your hand, but you can't fix your chin.
1: Yeah, I think uh, I think it was probably one weight class too many. Um, saying that, he got the draw that seemed to be, uh, I mean, I did watch the fight. I watched a massive chunk of it. I, haven't, I still haven't sat down. and managed to watch the whole thing through. But from what I see in that first fight, he deserved to probably get it. Um, I probably do really need to see uh, watch it, but by the sounds of it, I mean, it wasn't, uh, it, uh, there's no way, I, I don't think it was a draw, um, I mean, I have to look back on it again, but I think he was robbed of, to be a four-weight world champion, and the his debut in America, so he must have gutted now. Um, obviously, you know, in the disappointment, I think, it killed him, and his hands are uh, and Nelson knocks him out, I think, uh, I mean, that's just what happened. Uh, now, although, we don't have the specific date, but the relationship between Bill Maldi and Jeff Fenwick did eventually split on a sour note. The sort of thing we are all too familiar with when we are doing our research for our career profiles. Now, rumour is they split because Fenwick alleged that Maldi had taken the lion's share of profits from his fights. But forgetting, as many people have mentioned, when you do a bit of research on Maldy. He also had taken the lion's share of losses himself. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing, he's a decent guy. I can't honestly, but I don't think he was a bad guy. And I think he, I think that it may got a little bit carried away of himself, and they split. That's just my personal opinion there. People speak of the good Jeff, the bad Jeff, the Jacqueline Hyde, the complex and misunderstood character. His friends would say, while well, others within boxing you know about bad Jeff in the late '80s, especially now in Fennick, the official biography, which was co-written in 1988 by Peter. Muscat, and a sports writer, Grant Lee Kiaz, I mean, he wrote this on uh, Jeff Fennec, and they said, In truth, Fennec was a violent street hoodlum who gravitated towards petty theft and serious assault because he lacked potential control, par- parental control or any feelings of remorse towards his v- victims. Fennec was never a hungry fighter, He just pretended to be. He spent hours in front of the video cassette recorder watching the exploits of Rocky Balboa. He would jog through the back streets of Maritville, face-hooded the way Balboa did. He was an undisciplined and bored young thug, bashed his way to boy's home, then to fame and fortune for his 21st birthday. A cheat, a liar, a thief. And later a national hero. Some strong words. Yeah, wow. But um, I thought we had to put that in. Um, it was an official biography. Some people, as you said, he's a bit of a jack eyed and kind of guy. I think some people within the boxing industry didn't quite like, at this point anyway, in the late 80s, what it what was all about.
0: They certainly didn't like him based on that quotation anyway. They're absolutely putting him under the bus there with that. Ridiculous, isn't it? That he must have been absolutely—he must have been pissed off when he read that back. Certainly, when he's seen that, it basically saying he was just a thug, thug who managed to worm his way into world title contention and go on to win world titles. But you can't argue with, with what he's achieved. Now, after that and the loss to Azuma Nelson, Jeff Fennec retired once again and came back to fight occasionally. In his return in 1993, he was knocked out in seven rounds. ...by American and former IBF featherweight champion Calvin Grove... ...who was 43-5 at the Rod Laver Arena in Melbourne. Fennec made a return to America in 1995... ...when he beat Tialano Tovar... ...who was 10-10-1 and one, by knockout in 8... ...at the Convention Centre in Atlantic City, New Jersey. Now Fennec was well overmatched against American Tovar... ...but it brought his professional career... ...to a record of 26 wins, 2 losses... ...and a draw. Now in 1996, Fennec got married to Susie Dilberto... ...who was pregnant when she left another man for Jeff. They also named their daughter Kayla... ...after another character from Fennec's favourite TV show... Days of Our Lies. Jeff also fought twice at lightweight... ...knocking out Mike Juarez, 195 and 1... ...in two rounds before making a third attempt... ...at becoming a four-weight world champion... ...against South African and IBF lightweight champion... Philip Holiday, who was 27-0 at the Glass House in Melbourne. Fennec fell to his third professional defeat when he was knocked out in two rounds and then Fennec decided to retire from boxing after the shattering defeat and he said it was an easy decision to retire but when I did there was a void. The more I thought the more I felt like I should have been a four-time world champion instead of a three-timer. I kept thinking that if I just went back into the gym and did things properly it could happen again but I could never find that old Jeff Fennec.
1: Yeah, it was a shame that it didn't. That, that Nelson fight, I think. Uh, I think he had just gone too far. I mean, he was young though as well. It was just the hand situation, I, I believe. But what a magnificent achievement—a three-weight world champion, and probably robbed. Well, he was robbed of his fourth. He'd been a four-weight world champion. I mean, that's that's incredible. It really is. And then in two thousand and two, then it was inducted into National Boxing Hall of Fame. In New York, and become a boxing trainer, training fighters such as Nadal Hussain, Hussain Hussain, Sakio Bika, and former IBF flyweight champion Vic Derintian. But in 2003, Fennick was involved in a bar fight with a gang member, and was then attacked and stabbed by four men in Sydney, receiving facial cuts that required plastic surgery on January 5th, 2004. And in June of that same year. The Fennec family home was attacked by shooters. Seven bullets were recovered, but no one was injured. Australian police believe the two attacks against Fennec were connected to the bar fight he had had with that gang member. And the Australian newspaper quoted someone related to the Lebanese gang stating that they will kill him. But Fennec did not believe that the violent events were related. And during this escalating violence outside the ring, Fennec became the trainer of a certain Mike Tyson, in an effort to relaunch his career in March 2005. And he spoke of a few fa- stories about Mike, and, and I'll let you uh, tell him Sean.
0: So the couple of stories that we found from Jeff Fenwick and his own words about Mike Tyson are, and he says, okay. so the first time I went to the house and he had the tiger, Mike got hold of me, threw me in the cage and kind of locked me in. Now, he was just messing around. I'm not too scared of many things but I certainly had to change the undies when I got out of that cage. Fennec (laughs) explained the reason for their split, and it wasn't anything to do with the dispute. One day, I was waiting for him at the gym, and he doesn't turn up. So I went back to the house, and all of a sudden, it's five or six o'clock in the afternoon, and he walks in. I look at him, and he has a massive tattoo on his face. I looked at him and said, Mike, you can't fight. My understanding of tattoos is that if they're new or fresh to get messed up or punched you could get an infection so I didn't think you could fight and believing the fight was off Fennec flew back home to Australia I was very very upset I was actually in tears when I left I'd been there for eight weeks doing everything and a couple of days prior to the fight I go home Freddie Roach actually replaced Fennec in Tyson's corner I trained him but Freddie Roach got the credit for it as in the knockout win, because I went home days before the fight because Mike had ended up getting that tattoo on his face.
1: <laughs> well, what a crazy story, the fact that I didn't know that the tattoo had caused so much drama. For so for Jeff yeah, you know, obviously getting back home, and then, I mean, we did mention, we did the career profile of Mike, and I believe we did mention Jeff, I'm, I'm not sure, maybe we didn't quite capture the story, I know we mentioned Freddie Roach coming in, I don't, we didn't really know the ins and outs of why he came in, and, there we go. He came in later to replace Jeff uh, because of the crazy tail on the face. I mean, that's just crazy. Yeah? The whole thing, what, what a nightmare for him. And in the same year, Fennig actually actually pleaded guilty as well in his role in 2005 to theft of three gold watches worth a total of 327 dollars which is nothing, from a Gold Coast Queensland boutique store. And despite repeated denials made in the press on his website, there was clear evidence of his involvement from the in-store security cameras revealing that Fennec actively participated in the incident. And so, uh, again, come back to those silly, stupid moments. And things got worse on August 9, 2007, when he was actually convicted of driving a bad for five hundred dollars and Fennec spoke at his troubled years, and he did say that uh, if I could change all that, I'd change it. My biggest regret is that my family went through so much heartache, you know, I don't mind getting hit, don't mind getting stabbed, getting shot at. That's just life for me. But when you've got a wife and children and parents who have to go through it with you, that's a different thing altogether. A bit a bit of a crazy time again, sort of from that young age, that craziness it comes out of the ring and then he starts in business, which I don't, I don't quite understand.
0: Now, 16 years after the rematch with Azuma Nelson, Fennec at the age of 43 fought on Azuma Nelson, who was 49 with a record of 38-5-2. Now, it was a rubber match at the Super Welterweight division on June twenty-fourth, two 2008 at the Hissens Arena in Melbourne. Now, a reality series slash documentary on Phoenix life aired on Channel 9 and Fox Sports in the weeks leading up to the fight that was later built up as the grudge match of the century. Now, Fennec in the fight outworked the much slower, but much stronger Nelson over the course of 10 rounds, temporarily stunning him in the fifth round. Fennec was hurt in round nine, but stayed out of danger for the remaining rounds, boxing his way to a majority decision victory. Two judges scored it in favour of Fennec 96-94, with a third calling it a draw. Fennec retired once again from boxing with a record of 28 wins, three losses and one draw, with 21 coming by way of knockout. It's an absolutely crazy thing to see two old guys coming out of retirement to settle a score that they felt like wasn't scheduled because obviously that was a rubber match, there was a draw in the first Azuma Nelson beat him in the second fight, 16 years after that rematch they decided to get it on once more time, absolutely crazy and just to think that a lot of fighters now are are trying to do it in this day and age with the talk of guys like Tyson again coming back and Holyfield again coming back, these guys sometimes just can't let it go. There's always like this fire that's burning inside him to to get that unfinished business finished.
1: Yeah, it really is a strange one. And and Jeff Fennick did actually say you talked about Mike Tyson. He said um, if Mike Tyson does return, he reckons he knocks Wilder out. So <laughs> Finnick is obviously on the on the bandwagon of Tyson making a return. And crazy, I don't get it. it. It seems very strange to us, you know. But I suppose it is. It's just something they like a, a nagging feeling in them and they you know if they both want to do it they, they did it and, and it, you know it got a little reality series documentary out of it as well so they earned a bit of money I suppose and the, the third one was settled but in June 2008 Fennec won the Shane Warne 888 Poker World Series of Poker Celebrity Bounty Event at the Crown Casino and uh, Fennec now appears at poker events around the world including the Aussie Millions and the World Series of Poker but it was one story happened only last year October 4 2019 and Fennec was actually rushed into intensive care in Bangkok Thailand after he began coughing up blood at a training camp he ended up having five hour operation on an infected infected heart valve which almost killed him now he was actually set to miss his daughter Jessica's wedding Uh, as he recovered, but Jeff somehow managed to make it back to Sydney in time to walk it down the aisle.
0: Fantastic story, fantastic end to his story, really, in terms of what we've covered throughout the episode. Jeff Fennec is quite active on social media between him and his wife, and it is really good to see that he he is out and about and he is getting on really well. But in terms of his career, in in putting it into context, eh? the world titles that he won in three different weights... And how quickly he did that first world title, again, was something to behold. And I think there was always that potential of him going on to win a fourth world title. and It just never, never got there. The fact that he was robbed of a gold medal as well earlier on in his amateur boxing career, something that he can you know, never really get over at that moment in time. I think something that the three weight world championships would have helped him get over, of course. But something that I think when you read through the, the stories about it and the way you felt about it, it was quite evident that it was one of them things you could kind of never get back to or, or go back to what he what he wanted to with it. Now, he's obviously been inducted into the Boxing Hall of Fame, as you said, early in 2002. He's inducted in 2003 into the Australian National Boxing Hall of Fame and he's been the fourth person to be elevated to legend status in 2013. I think for me, looking through his life, looking for his career without being as brutal as they were in the biography which we read out a little bit earlier. He came from nothing as many of these fighters do. He came from being a petty criminal to becoming a world champion to becoming an Australian boxing legend. I've really enjoyed sitting down to record this episode about the career of Jeff Fenwick and I really hope that if he gets the opportunity to hear it or any of his family hear it, I hope we've kind of done him a little bit of justice with this particular episode. Of course, there'll be stories that we won't have known about. There'll be stories that we've not able to be able to source for the episode. But I'm really chuffed to be able to have sat down and get a bit of a snapshot of his career and and what he really achieved in his career. Because quite simply, he is an Australian boxing legend.
1: He absolutely is. And and again, I mean, I, I wasn't, too familiar with him and uh, what i will say is that you know i'm I, it's impressive i mean what a magnificent career to be that three-weight world champion is 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 a fantastic achievement do it as quick as he did you know obviously some people have their feelings with him in that eight, 1988 uh, biography Um, obviously that was done in 98 a long time past he then, you know you can see that there were moments in jeff's life where uh Obviously, he made some silly decisions and I think some people just didn't allow him to forget that. Uh, Some people are like that, unfortunately. But from what I've witnessed and from from watching back on his tapes or online and all of his fights, is is one thing that will always stick with me is just that unbelievable ferocity, that relentless pressure that he puts on fighters. It is something to behold. It really is. And you can understand why he is considered to be one of the greats. I suppose one thing that is always going to niggle at people will pick at is the fact that he didn't fight in america as often as he should have he should have fought there a little bit earlier maybe but a brilliant fighter he really is Um, and i'm really pleased that we had the opportunity to be able to look into this career and some of the stories in there obviously our opinions but i I think we captured the whole thing really well and i think that he's definitely a guy that if you didn't know about please go and have a check on all of his fights on youtube seriously almost every single one of his fights are on there literally debuts on there and everything so I would advise if anyone wants to have a, a Jeff Bennett evening literally you know go and pick out some of these fights these world title fights because it's some great all action packed fights and a joy to watch and a true absolute as you say probably the best fighter to come out of Australia
0: well, Costas would have something to say about that, of course. But for me, yeah. Jeff Fennick, about what he's achieved in his career, amazing. I've really enjoyed it and I hope that everybody listening, you've enjoyed it too. And of course, if you've got any feedback to give us on the episode, you can do it by checking us out on Twitter at Career Underscore Profiles or the Facebook page, which is the BTR Boxing Podcast Network, all the latest episodes of the series. Go on to that Facebook page and you can check us out on there. Drop us a message if there's any career profiles that you want us to cover. You can do that. We've been getting some great requests from guys, obviously like Martin Lee, amongst others, which we've really enjoyed covering for you fight fans. So please let us know if there are any more in particular ones that you'd love us to cover. We'll certainly look at doing them for you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Career Profiles Podcast. And it's been all about Jeff Fennec. And His career, the Maverickville Mauler. The dream is made real! Ricky
1: Hart rocks the world! How do you like it? How do you like it? Wish I was 50 years younger and I'd kick your
2: ass. It's over!